What are your writing dreams? Finishing that book, quitting the day job, becoming a best-selling author? Well, over four years, we've studied the advice of over 300 best-selling authors who've collectively sold over half a billion books. And we are excited to announce the Best Seller Academy. If you're ready to take your writing to the next level with accountability, craft, and coaching, your bestseller dreams are now only a click away. To find out more and apply, visit bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash academy. That's bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash academy. Let's run the show. Hello and welcome to the Bestseller Experiment, where we continue to discover what makes a bestseller and inspire you to start, finish and publish your book. I'm Mark DeVoe. And I'm Mark State. And as always, a huge thank you to all those people out there who keep this podcast on the road by supporting us with a little bit of cash. Uh, and in return, they get all sorts of amazing stuff. So if you pop over to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash support, you can discover how you can become a chart topper supporter on Patreon. And if you do that, you get access to over 130 deep dive episodes. And what, what's a deep dive episode, you may ask? Well, this is where we take one subject and we dig deep. We, we have a right go at it. So in recent episodes, we've had Kelly Weeks talking about marketing. Kelly's worked for some of the biggest publishers in the UK. Kelsa E. Myers, who's an expert in search engine optimization. That's getting yourself found online. We had Tim Lott, a brilliant novelist, Tim Lott, talking about how to write a novel. And just this, just last week, we had Paul Austin Ardawan talking about, talking about how to make $1,000 a month uh, as an indie author. It's based on his book. All this and much, much more. And also, if you go to the academy, if you go to the academy, you get me and Mr. D as your one-to-one -one tutors. You get an amazing community. You get all these incredible courses. So, you know, it's it's all there, folks. It's all there. Just just grab it. Absolutely. Mr. Stay. Uh, I am I'm buzzing this week after our oh, yeah. chats last week about writing and ideas. It's it's like it's unleashed the the Kraken. <laughs> 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 Release the Kraken. I was almost, almost said unleash the crackers and a bit of cheese, but that would that would make the writing experience a bit more like a wallet and Gromis, Gromis film. But uh, yeah, I'm feeling really inspired. Do you know how you you know how you go through these kind of um, and everyone must, every writer must have this. You just have some, you just have some moments where you're just absolutely fired up and you think this is it, and it's like right, you've got to kind of take that energy and you've got to kind of like convert it into words do you know that you know that experience yes 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 harness it harness it harness because it. it won't last forever it's like <laughs> it's like yeah it's like i'm harnessing it and it's like i just can't stop writing right now and uh, but you know the biggest challenge i've got and I'm, again i think a lot of people whether you're writing fiction non-fiction i think most the biggest challenge i'm realizing as a writer is that we have we're drawn to writing partly because we love writing we like to tell a story but we also have probably pretty creative imaginations. And it's how do you stop that creativity from giving you 30,000 different ideas? And then your creativity goes into trying to solve the riddle as to which one to write about. So that's really where I'm at still. It's like, just yes. thinking, like it's something about like, you're thinking about longevity of life and thinking I could not physically write all of these books in my lifetime, even if they did some crazy cryogenic AI thing where you could keep writing <laughs> in your frozen state but do you know what i mean it's like what do you do how do you pick the thing 
to write about today and tomorrow. It's, it's funny you should say that. I mean, this is one of the things where an agent comes in really, really handy because I'm working uh, with the writer Brian Coleman. We've been writing scripts together and we came out of a whole bunch of ideas uh, for TV shows and movies. And we went to our agent and just said, okay, which ones are the goers? Which ones do you think you could sell that could get us meetings and blah, blah, blah. So, you know... Our agent gave us some feedback, and, and those are like the three or four that we're now going to focus on, and, and you know maybe make you know put up into pitches, and hopefully get some meetings off the back of it. So having some external expertise, which I know you know we've been you, you've got plans for this, haven't you, Mister D? You got yeah. you got you're going to you're going to consult the uh, the hive mind, aren't you? The oracle. Yeah, I think <laughs> what I'm going to do is because we've got with well, the BXP team is such a brilliant brilliant group of people yeah we call it the hive mind in some ways don't we? because there's such a such a breadth of um so i'm i'm gonna chuck it out there i'm gonna i'm gonna ask them this week and we'll report back on the podcast what what, what ensues in terms of banter but i'm gonna ask them what i should write about like what is it of all the different things um it's it's weird because in some ways when you pick her as a as a fiction writer and you pick a genre and you say right i want to write fantasy you instantly i mean it's it's, it's it is narrowing it down it's not really because there's like then you've got fantasy and you've got to narrow that down but the whole yeah, point yeah, of yeah. like like self-help personal development that whole like self-improvement living your dreams living on purpose getting out of a hole whatever it might be it's it's mm. like it's the human experience isn't it and that's exactly the yeah area <laughs> i'm gonna <laughs> write about life <laughs> well that's the weird thing do you know what i mean i've got literally that is one of that's one of the topics that i'm thinking of, folks <laughs> i'm not kidding you i'm not kidding you. i have a book I'll, title I'll, I'll save you all the hassle <laughs> the answer is 42 okay exactly. that's the answer <laughs> that should be there'd, there'd be a brilliant book if someone did that something about life and you just it's like a 200 page book and all the pages are blank and and on page 42 there's just big page 42 number <laughs> 42. that's it everything else is blank <laughs> i'm sure that's been done but um so yeah watch your space folks i'm gonna i'm gonna pitch out there but um yeah if you want to if you want to pitch into the conversation if there's anything i mean this is a request to our listeners if there's anything that you particularly enjoyed that we focus on here and you think yeah it'd be kind of fun to have that distilled into a book um from a kind of a life perspective um, personal development non-fiction then then let us know drop us a note i'll be interested to get your feedback open <laughs> to feedback right now but mr say we have um we have a brilliant interview today and we've done quite a few interviews of people who have collaborated i mean this is the this is like the mammoth of collaborations but um this was the first time i can remember in 450 plus episodes where one of our guests has actually referenced Back to reality, the book that we wrote, which is ironic in an in a interview about collaboration. But um, is that the first time that an author has actually referenced, that she's obviously read our book? It might, it, might, it might be. Weirdly, I was on, I did a radio interview this morning, Academy Radio, which is a FM station in Folkestone, because I'm doing a talk down there in a couple of weeks. And it was lovely because Kay, the uh, DJ there, she's she's read, you know, all, all and, and she said, oh, I love that Back to Magic <laughs> for anyone that's new to the podcast so she, Mark's, written a, book, Mark's <laughs> written a book called end of magic we wrote a book together called back to reality well it could have it could have been worse mark it could have been um Ro the end of magic. reality <laughs> <laughs> the end of reality robot magic that sounds like the follow-up to some like fairy unicorn novel you could be onto something there oh my gosh but yeah, it was it was brilliant, and um, I, it's 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 an interesting one because we've it rem, this interview that you're about to hear reminded 
reminded me of you and I, Mark, when we published Back to Reality and we went and did interviews on other yeah. podcasts and radio yeah. stations and, and just the enthusiasm and excitement. Um, but this, yeah, listen in, folks. I mean, let's, let's introduce our guests. Yeah, such a such a great pair of guests. This is Heidi Goody and Ian Grant. They've been writing together since 2011, and they've written across multiple genres. But there's always there was always a laugh in there. There's always a bit of comedy. Uh, they're both Midlands based, and probably best known for the Cloven Hoof series, which is a series where Satan is made redundant from hell and sent to live in Birmingham. I mean, this Love is a great that. premise. Anyway, <laughs> recently they've launched a cozy crime series, uh, which is called the Cozy Craft Mysteries, under a pen name as, as Millie Ravensworth. And incidentally, they're both married, but not to each other. And also, and I just want to bring this up because this is brilliant. Ian might be familiar to readers in the UK as he recently featured in a news story that went a bit viral. He was on holiday and he ordered a takeaway curry online only to turn up at the curry house and it had shut down. So <laughs> I'm going to put a link in the show notes because there's a brilliant photo of Ian doing that sort of sad man with an empty plate photo. It's so funny. Anyway, so random. We, we discuss her. Uh, we discuss the benefits of having a writing partner, how being a writer is an excuse to ask and do anything, and how they ended up as writers in residence of a telephone box. Brilliant. So let's dive in. This is completely bonkers, folks. Uh, let's dive in and listen to the lovely interview with Mark chatting with Heidi Goody and Ian Grant. Heidi Goody and Ian Grant, welcome to the bestseller experiment. How are you today? Very well, thank you. Wonderful. Yourself. Very good indeed. Thanks for asking. And wonderful to see, because I keep seeing you at conventions and events and all sorts of stuff. And, uh, you know, I'm just blown away by what you've done uh, together as a writing team. And we're going to, well, let's go back to the start and we'll talk about all the exciting new things that are coming on the horizon as well. Now, as I understand it, you've been writing together since 2011. And this this all came about because someone asked a question at the Birmingham Writers Group. Can, can you tell us how, how you two started working together? So we, we were both members of Birmingham Writers Group. Um, we've, both, we've both chaired the group on occasion. It's a great writers group and we enjoyed it so much. Um, and I think at the point this all came about, we, we, we knew each other's work quite well, um, for a couple of years at least. And then we did a workshop. Uh, it wasn't run by us. It was run by somebody else. Uh, on collaborations and right at the end of the workshop it was super interesting we talked through all of the different models and the famous people that have done it right at the end of the workshop the facilitator said is there anybody here that would like to work in collaboration and and Ian and I were both practically jumping out of our seats <laughs> and and nobody else was it was it was really strange to me that we were the only ones enthused by the idea and then still it took a week i think it was a week after that i sent Ian a, an email really tentative email hey, do you want to do something together because I, I felt I, I felt and still feel actually that Ian's Ian's a more accomplished writer than I am and it's like oh my god he's gonna say no and it'll be so embarrassing and it was like asking somebody out on a date actually I was really nervous and and I think it's interesting because we've both been writing on and off for quite a long time before that and I certainly had written a few novels um and and Heidi had written a novel prior to that, and so you know we both brought our own you know writing to to, to this this collaboration. But I think we both very quickly saw that there are huge advantages of working with somebody else. Not least of all, you know, obviously writing is for the the initial part is quite a solitary business. You are doing something by yourself with your own self doubts going. Am I writing a load of nonsense here? What is this? What is this thing? Does anyone like it? Um, 
And I think having another person to work with, who kind of goes, yeah, yeah, that's, that's really good. Do, do more of that. And especially when it comes to comedy, I think, you know, you'd be aware of this too, Mark. You know, that if you're writing something funny, there's like a very big doubt of kind of, you know, am I the only mm. one who will find this funny? <laughs> and so having someone else kind of go, yeah, I like what you did there. Let's have more, let's do more of it. So we both very quickly saw an advantage, um, if only for our own mental well-being, to working together, I think. Yeah. Well, let's 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 talk about how that process started and how it's developed. And I know because I've been looking at old interviews that you've done, and you do get asked this every single interview. So apologies to listeners who've heard this before, and apologies to you two for having to ask you this again. And also, listeners, they've literally written a book on the subject called How to Write a Collaborative Novel. So I'll put a link in the show notes. You can check that out as well. But how do you work together? How does how does the process work? It, it's endlessly fascinating to us how how that's evolved for us. And, you know, we're just two people. Um, I think it'll be different for everybody that writes together. Um, we... One of the the big takeaways from from the entirety of our of our career together is is that we very much believe that having the work ethic, the same work ethic, is is key to all of this. Right. If one of us was a little bit of a slacker or you know less invested in the thing, it it would have fallen apart. Um, but but we are both super invested in it, and we really want to write more books and you know sell more books and all of those things. But the the model itself it's it's changed hugely. We've tried so literally. If you can think of a way of writing the book together, we've probably tried it, and, and so and we found the things that suit us. Uh, Ian, I don't know if you want to talk about that a little bit. Yeah, well, because we started off with uh, our first book together, Clovenhoof, where Satan loses his job and has to go live in Birmingham. <laughs> um, and because we we came together, there's an interesting point about collaboration. Um, is that we we need to look at what do we both like? What do you both like writing? What do you both like reading? There are Venn yeah. diagrams for writers about yeah. know, what do I want to write? What am I good at writing? All those things. And you you got to mush those together. And we both like fantasy, and we both like comedy. So battered ideas around. So we start on this uh, Satan in suburbia comedy. Um, and our model for that one essentially was we roughly set out the novel as twelve chunks. Um, and then what we would each do is we'd each plot a chapter and then we'd give it to the other one to write and then give it back to the original person to edit. So, right. so one person would be working on chapter one, ed, you know, planned by one person, written by the other, then back to the other one to edit. Whilst the other one's working on chapter, uh, I think it'd probably be six, you know, and so then you kind of like work your way in a sort of a hopscotch way through the entire novel. I think Clovenhoof, that gives it an unavoidably episodic feel because, you know, and, and in that sense, it works it's perfectly fine because effectively it's a sitcom. It's a sitcom with 12 episodes. Um, <laughs> but obviously that requires us to know significantly in advance what we're going to write. And that, that was probably one of our most structured approaches. And I think as we've gone through and got more comfortable, we've taken a different kind of angle to it. Um, and there have been novels where one of us has led the way and the other one has followed behind, right. filling in, expanding, editing. Um, and I think that's been different things for us. So, for instance, we did the Odd Job series, which was a urban fantasy set in Birmingham about a government department fighting Cthulhu-like horrors from beyond. And I, I led the way with that one and Heidi followed behind. Um, and then we look at the more of the, um, the crime work we've done recently, which tends, tends to have been Heidi has led the way 
and I followed on behind. I think part of that as well is we've tried our best to play to our strengths as we've gone along um, because every, every writer brings something different to the table, definitely. You mentioned 12 chunks there. You didn't say chapters, chunks. So are you talking about sort of story beats there in terms of, you know, maybe something like the hero's journey? Is there some sort of template there that you're working towards? or? Um, Ian, will have, Sorry. Ian will have much to say on this because um, if, if, if one of us is a plotter, it's Ian. If one of us is a pantser, it's me. Oh. And we, we kind of smush our methods together in a kind of, in, in, in various frameworks. Um, Ian, Ian knows what I think of the hero's journey. Um, <laughs> I'm not a fan either. Safe... <laughs> no, I'll, I'll, I'll let Ian talk about the hero's journey, actually, because it, it has its place. There's no doubt about it. it I, I, the thing is, yes, we, and I think with chunks, and I'm probably one of our mistakes with Clovenhoof, or one of our things that, you know, we, we, it was a learning thing for us, we made those chunks into chapters. It was a book with 12 chapters. Right. Um, which actually, you know, the average reader does not want to read a 5,000 word chapter necessarily. They perhaps want a bit, you know. So our, our, our structure was more rigid there. Um, and, you know, we, we've always tried to create these arcs. We have these very, we tend to work on, we plan conversationally, we draw these weird webs with plot points, you know, it's, it's like a flow diagram almost of story. And sometimes we, you know, we have uh, pantsed our way through an entire book and, and then, you know, we have to fight our way to make the ending work. Um, famously, we, famously was, there was one book which we planned the hell out of, uh, Jackal Incorporated, based on a dream Heidi had about people renting out parts of their brain to uh, a data company um, in exchange for internet access. <laughs> and we, we planned the heck out of that book and it got to the point where we kind of get, right, it's chapter 54, the B story, the romance must happen now. No, it must happen now. And and, and I think that's the closest, we, we've never really argued, have we? But it's the closest we came to hating our work because we got sucked in by our own planning to the extent that we, we deprived ourselves of freedom. Um, and I think there's something there that structure, um, there are many structural approaches to writing. I love the hero's journey. And yes, that's probably because as a child, I love Star Wars. I love yep. George Lucas. Therefore, I love Joseph Campbell. Therefore, I love the hero's journey. Um, even though actually, really, it's just one way of approaching story. Um, and I think as well, it, it's obviously from Joseph Campbell's effect, not just because it's called the hero's journey, but there's a certain male narrative going on there. Um, and, and I think actually it doesn't do all the things you want it to do. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, we, we, we've looked at a number of structural things. I think there's some things we've really picked up along the way. Um, obviously, you know, three-act structure helps us just understand our books. But one of the things we've really worked towards is kind of this um, Maslow's hierarchy of needs approach to story and almost this, this caveman approach to story. I, I, I think you introduced me to that, didn't you, Heidi, this idea of the caveman kind of desires within stories. Yeah, I can't remember. I, I, I didn't invent it. I feel as though that was Keith Lindsay is somebody that we've worked with in the past. He's he's a, a writer of sitcoms and a, and a and a very funny guy actually. And he says that if you are writing about emotional emotional needs that a character has, if a caveman can understand it, you know it's a really basic need. Uh, then you know the readers will will love it. Um, it's it's why we don't get those those um, those books about 
um, enterprise architects or uh, investment bankers so much because nobody really cares about those those slightly less understandable jobs or, or, or worries that, that we have in the world. So yes, we we try and we try and stick to the the, the, the needs of the caveman. We um, we if if you think about. I guess everybody is familiar with Maslow's hierarchy of needs, but we have at the very bottom of our hierarchy of needs, we have the, the need for food and shelter. And then, you know, we move on to love and so on. So if we can take away as many things or threaten as many things as possible for our characters, then we can drive a really intense narrative and comedy yeah. also. I, I, I think that's it, because it was Keith Lindsay. And again, it's not new to him, but he, he said to us, you know, the role of the writer is to, uh, you know, chase their characters up a tree and then throw rocks at them. Yeah. And, you know, this idea that actually chasing your characters up a tree is like chasing your character down the hierarchy of needs. You strip away their status, their love, you know, their security. Hopefully you're not going to starve them to death necessarily, unless it's that kind of book. <laughs> but that ultimately, if you're going to create drama, you drive in that direction, you do those things. And that's a structural thing. There, There is a journey. Um but it was, uh, sorry, we just stopped just naming other people, but it was Kurt Vonnegut. So I think basically he went, you know, basic stories, a person falls in a hole and tries to get out of it again. That's it. Um, so, you know, those things have driven us. But again, I think we have recognized there's a balance between planning fiercely, you know, dictatorially, and actually having that freedom to write what we want to write. It is a fine line, isn't it? Because, you know, I've I've collaborated and it's important that you're both singing from the same hymn sheet, but have the freedom to 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 go off the path a little bit as well. And as you said, you you've 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 rarely argued, you know. So what's um how are you communicating with each other? Is it like this? Is it over Zoom? Are you having story meetings? Are you brainstorming beforehand? Or is it all done on text? How are you how are you brainstorming these ideas? We um the, the one thing that we never do is write in the same room. We write remotely, but mm -hmm. we do we do plan in meetings. We have often, you know, we'll sit in a cafe and we have been known to be quite annoying to other patrons <laughs> in the cafe with our big bits of paper and our loud talking and our raucous laughter. Um, but we'll do that and, and, and thrash out the type of thing that's coming up, whether it's the overall, you know, structure of the next novel or we might focus in on the next chunk that we're writing. Um, so, so we, we we do also we love Dropbox. Dropbox is is the thing that 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 lets us keep tabs on what we're both doing. And we 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 started a, a chat document. It's a kind of daily chat document because we realised that we were I was sending way too any, many emails during the day, and it's 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 a bit annoying. So we just keep it all in a document now. When we have just here's a thought, here's an idea. I have a question. You know that it, we collect all of those into a single document. Yeah, and we could. We used to um, with with our books. We essentially for every chapter we'd have what we called a go crazy document. So basically, I don't know. So writing a book, writing the next book in the Clovenhoof series, and Clovenhoof goes on holiday to Spain, and you go right, go crazy. What's going to happen? You know, right. and, uh, I don't know. He's going to you know cook the biggest pot of paella. You know, he's going to. <laughs> Pick a fight with somebody on a beach. I don't, we, we just throw our ideas down yeah. and expand and elaborate and do those kinds of things. I think you get to that point. It's probably worth very much pointing out here that although Heidi and I are married, we're not married to each other. And I think our respective spouses kind of just look at us with this kind of weird weariness. 
uh, to be honest. Um, but we, we, I think we've got to that point now, quite frighteningly, where we're kind of reading each other's thoughts a lot anyway, you know. So once we start going down a certain path, the other one goes, aha, I know what I can do here. We can expand and we can change and we can, and we can, and we can build up in that kind of way. So our brainstorming, you know, I think it's, um, it's very organic. Um, it, it's a lot of just, uh, I'm one of these people who actually, if I'm having a conversation that is of value, I tend to have to be face to face usually. Um, I don't know. I'm not a very good auditory learner or something. So, you know, face to face stuff. And if it's not written down afterwards, you know, it has to be written down. I, you know, I need to get something on paper. Um, so a lot of what we do is, is having, yeah just wild and crazy chats and then remembering what the heck we said and then putting it down uh, and exploring from there. And that that's how we, I think that's very much how we brainstorm, but you have this business of, um, we were discussing earlier about like, you know, Heidi, you like picking up random things, like whether it's off the street or from tip shops or whatever. You, a writer's life is an eclectic thing. You go along and you see anything and go, Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> you, you know, um, we're, we're currently doing some research for some London-based uh, detective novels at the moment. Should be out in the autumn 2023. Um, and we were at a book launch last weekend, and a woman came up. I was mentioned that with these London novels. She, she said, well, I'm a member of the Parliamentary Choir. The House of Parliament has a choir of its own. Who knew? And anyone who belongs to the House of Parliament will be part of the choir. And you immediately go, I'm stealing that. We are having that. It's, you know, and, and so it's a very eclectic approach. And sometimes, and this is tough for all writers, you have to go, do I want to put this thing in because it's going to amuse me or does it actually genuinely belong in the story? And that, that's yeah. when you start getting into genre and actually the, the needs and expectations of the story. Because sometimes you have to take a good long look at yourself and go, no, that doesn't belong. No matter how much fun it is, it doesn't belong. Um, so, yes, brainstorming. Yeah, that's not where we're going there. It's, it's <laughs> Oh, sorry. I was just going to say that the sand the sandpit approach, which is you know the go crazy document, has has been really a a useful framing for the I think the tension that we sometimes get. We said that Jaffalink we overplanned, and I I I find it crushing actually. Once we've got a thing written down, like here's the structure, here's what we're going to write, it 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 kills a little bit of creativity in in my head. So the sandpit approach is really useful, and we try and build that in at every stage if we can. Right. Yes. Yeah. That, that's, that's a very good point because there are things that we're sometimes not happy. You, you know, I, actually, I'm probably the one who gives the rules. I'm afraid to say. So, like, you know, we're we're writing one of our Clovenhoof novels, religious comedy, and Heidi goes, "Can we have a yeti in it?" And part <laughs> of me kind of goes, "Right, Christian mythology does not contain yetis," and I'm kind of going, "No," you know, and and I think, and sometimes what we also do and we're both guilty of this, is we come up with a wonderful idea to put in a series and then we stop and go, oh, hang on, this belongs in this other series. That's a that's a so-and-so idea. That belongs here. Um, and we have to recognise where, you know, where things belong. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. And it is, uh, you're clearly doing something right because you've, you've written over 30 novels together, I believe. Yeah, that's, that's, that's where we are at the moment at the time of recording. Uh, by the time this comes out, there will be more. Now, was it always the plan to indie publish as well? I, I um, at the point where I'd, I, I only wrote one novel before we started writing together. 
And at the point where I'd got that in my little hot hand, I, I was desperate to indie publish it. I could see what was happening. I, I could I could wrap my head around it technically, and it seemed like such an exciting thing mm. uh, that I, I was super keen on that. I didn't even want to contemplate going around and, and looking at agents and publishers. It, it just seemed to me like the the most exciting thing imaginable. Yeah. But then I had to persuade you. <laughs> you. You did have to persuade me, and I think that that's interesting. That for the most part. Heidi, you've been very good at spotting where the direction of publishing and trends are going. Um, so I, I, and it was much to my disadvantage, I happened to have a literary agent back in 1990, whatever. Uh, so therefore I went, ha ha, I have an agent. This is how things work. Mm-hmm. Didn't get a book published through them. Nothing ever happened. But I assumed that this was it. This is the way you did stuff. Um, and I think we were publishing our first novel together, Cloverhoof, in 2012. And even in the 10 years it's been since then, publishing has changed very much. Mm. And I think if we could take ourselves in a little time machine, as the people we are now, back to 2012, we would by now be absolute millionaires because we could see that Kindle publishing, you know, uh, fast turnaround Kindle publishing, around about 10 years ago, was, was a direct route to getting a great audience. Obviously, the market... As always with these things, it's become more saturated, it's become nuanced, it's changed, it's not the same as it was. But actually, being, um, you know, a, a self-published author in the early 2010s was absolutely the right direction to go in. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, that, that I'm very glad that Harry Heidi persuaded me of that fact. I was of that kind of opinion now, and I know very few people are still these days, but of the opinion now, at the time, that indie publishing was giving up, was kind of going, you know, if you can't get properly published, therefore, you know, you, you go for second best get indie published, which wasn't true then. I was wrong and it's not true now. Um, and, and therefore you know, I needed talking around and it was absolutely the right thing to do. And the freedom it offered was fantastic. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now you've, um, You've run across various genres. You do have this kind of, there is an eclecticism to it. What have you found that's been working and what's not worked for you? What are the biggest lessons that you've learned along the way? So um, it's it's one of the truths we've learned about our, our writing selves over the years is that we um, we obviously crave variety, you know, in, in the things that we write. We, we, we love comedy. We don't really want to move away from comedy because that works for us mm. and, and and i think it's in relatively short supply too um so we we write comedy but we have written across a great many genres we started off with cloven hoof fantasy comedy uh, we, we wrote odd jobs which was fantasy horror comedy a little bit more um but then uh I got. Um, we, I remember this so clearly, Ian. We were driving back from a convention together, and um, in the car, I said, "Do you know what I'd really love to write is some crime, like some comedy crime, some outrageous comedy crime, like Carl Hyarson writes, um, that Florida whack job stuff." And we talked about it, and we went, "Yeah, yeah, let's do that." And so uh, we 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 wrote a, a series of books set in Skegness because we decided that Skegness is the the the, the closest that Britain can offer to Florida. And we actually <laughs> one day we'd like to see a literary twinning because you know that's that's Absolutely. that's a thing. Um so so yes we've and, and and we know we know for a fact that we do ourselves no favours at all when we uh, write across genres because 
we have a core of fans. We we definitely have a core of fans who will read the things that we write because they like them. Mm. But of course, uh, the core of fans that we have, I don't know how many, if it's dozens or hundreds of people, um, that's not enough to put you know food on the table. We need to be selling to genre fans. And genre fans, when they see our books and are also also bought on Amazon, as you know, are a, are a you know a, a key thing to discoverability. And ours are a big old mess because you know yeah. if you see the also boughts for Clovenhoof, they'll include crime books, and it's uh, it's not a clear path if you're trying to sell to fantasy fans or to crime fans because they just go, "What is this?" So, so I think yes, I don't know what your thoughts are, Ian, but that would be one of the biggest learning points, I guess. Yeah, I, I think that um, what readers want generally, uh, re- readers are individually wonderful, unique, intelligent human beings, you know, who have very nuanced needs and desires. But as a mass, readers want more of the same thing that you did before, please. Mm. Exactly the same, please, but ever so slightly different. Now, that's not reflection on individual readers because they are very complex human beings, but as, as an entire thing. So, for instance, arguably, since the Club News series has been a success for the last 10 years, it's, you know, it's been very nice and we very much enjoyed it. Um, we should have just written 20 20 Cloverfield books, and that 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 would probably you know have done as well. That switching genres because we feel a need insiders hasn't necessarily helped ourselves particularly. Also, I would argue, um, despite our desires as writers, one-off books, standalone books, tend mm-hmm. to be oddities, and there's a struggle with pitching them and selling them. We've written some standalone books that we're wonderfully proud of. J- Jaff Link, the one about renting our busy brain. Lovely story. Even though we hated writing it, it turned out fantastic. We wrote a, a werewolf horror road trip story, A Heart in the Right Place, which I think, you know, I'm still waiting for that Netflix deal, you know. Um, <laughs> it, it's lovely, but it's a standalone. And readership want, generally wants a continuation of things. And I, I think there's something there that, that you need to address. So that actually you, we don't want to, you don't want to confuse readers by just, because readers will follow you. But there's a point at which they won't follow you. Um, I mean, I wonder how much of that is the Amazon algorithm being a bit dumb. I mean, maybe with AI, you we may find that it gets a bit smarter and realizes because I read different stuff all the time. We know you read different stuff all the time. We know that people aren't just crime writers who read this author over and over again. But that's how the Amazon algorithm works. So maybe when it gets a bit smarter. You guys, because I have the same problem. I also, also bolts are all over the place. Um, so I'm kind of hoping that maybe when AI kicks in, we might be quits in. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> we can hope. Because <laughs> a really good example, you know, you know, this predates Amazon is, for instance, um, I know that we all are big fans of Terry Pratchett, mm-hmm. you know, wonderful writer. And there are some huge Terry Pratchett fans, huge Terry Pratchett fans who have never read his two science fiction novels. Yeah. You know, and you kind of go, I look, I think they're wonderful books. They're very early works. You can see, you can see the joins and all that kind of stuff. But they're lovely books. Yeah. But they're not Discord books. So, you know, readers can make some very specific choices. Um, and, and I think that is interesting that, you know, that's, that, that's the way we are. And yes, I think, you know, AI is an, in, an algorithm is an interesting one because obviously we generally talk about them as a sort of a, as a threat thing. But actually, one of the things I think, you know, and I'm talking years ago now, 
drew me to Amazon, you know, as a purchaser, was you did have a vague idea what I'd quite like. And you go, yeah. why don't you try this? Um, and I think, yeah, we can just get, you know, because we, this business of pseudonyms or, you know, publishing things in different ways is an artificial means of getting around that pre-existing problem of, of how books are recommended to us. So, yes, uh, you're probably right. You know, um, the landscape changes continuously. Yes, you heard it here first, folks. <laughs> well, let, let's, talk, let's talk about the next phase because you have uh, experimented with uh, a new pseudonym, the Millie Ravensworth Cozy Craft Mysteries. Tell us about those and and because uh, the covers look amazing and it does seem to me it seems to tick every kind of box for that kind of cozy crime genre. So where where did these come from and and uh, tell us how 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 they're going? A couple of things came together, I think, um, because a few people read our Sam Applewhite books, the Skegness Crime, and said, "Oh, it's cozy crime because Sam's a, a you know a female amateur sleuth. Um, there's there's no police procedural in there." And yet, um, it quite clearly isn't cozy because we've got uh, we've got baddies who get horribly mutilated and you know, there's alligators. Because um, <laughs> and then um, so so we thought, well, that 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 is interesting. Could we perhaps lean into the cozy crime genre a little bit more? And um, what one of the other factors that that drew me to that was because co- cozy crime often uh, comes with um, crafts. And I, I particularly enjoy sewing. And so I, I thought, well, I wonder if we could build on that. Can we use the sewing and and, and have a, a, a cosy crime series with sewing? Um, and so that's what we decided to do. And we um, we, we had so much fun, actually. It, it, Ian, Ian is responsible for picking the location because we, we we thought that a cute location was, was key. And, uh, yeah, we really enjoyed writing them. Yeah. Uh, so, so we, we set the cozy craft mysteries in the town of Framlingham in Suffolk, uh, which uh, is actually where my wife's family are from. Um, and we part of part of us finding so much set uh, books because regional crime is kind of popular at the moment. Mm. Uh, you know, crime set within specific, well-defined geographical areas does appeal. Um, and yes, yeah, Suffolk, Suffolk not entirely overlooked, but it was a reasonable place to look at. Um, and so that we thought that would work in terms of our cozy setting. And I think there's something important to say about cozy crime or low violence crime, as it's sometimes referred to, is that there are genres, there are genres out there that are very lax and fluid. Science fiction covers all manner of areas. Fantasy can go, gosh, anywhere it likes. But cozy crime, and I think I'd put this adjacent to romance in this regard, most of the readers have some very specific expectations of the genre. There are rules of the genre, um, and, and working within those is actually very interesting. That there's actually you kind of go right here. We're going to play a game. We're going to play in this sandpit of of story, but here are the rules that we have to follow when we're in it. And it would include things like no swearing, no vulgarity. Um, uh, you know, a lot of things that went straight into our Cloverfield books. None of that, no nudity. <laughs> um, you know, there, there's going to be death because there are going to be mysteries, there are going to be murders, but we are not going to see violence in, in its extreme form. And there's these things that very much define the genre. Um, and also within that, actually within Cozy Crime, there's some brilliant Cozy Crime mysteries, as in the mystery itself is fantastic but it's a very character-driven genre. 
that people actually want to uh, read and luxuriate in, in the place and the characters rather than that. So th there's a lot of things that were just interesting opportunities. And I think that appealed to me because, again, I, I, you know, I'm the planner. I'm the, I'm the one who structures. So it's a puzzle. It's a mental puzzle of how we make the pieces work together. But I think we were able to really play to our, to our personal strengths, both our creativity and our organizational kind of approach to things to, to, to create something. So we looked at that and part of that then was the recognition that our also boards, our algorithms, you know, from Amazon, they just would totally would be a disservice to us. Because mm. if someone read a cozy crime story, Set in uh, Tweed, I'll use the word Tweed, it's not Tweed, it's a lovely town, but in a, in, a, in a pleasant Suffolk town, and then go and read our book about Satan in suburbia, which frankly <laughs> is like the worst kind of 1970s vulgar sitcom. Um, we're going to both offend and alienate readers, it's not going to make sense. So we looked at taking on a pseudonym. Heidi, um, do you remember the process by which we even picked our pseudonym? I'm quite certain it involved a spreadsheet because um, you know where, where Ian is, spreadsheets follow. Um, I, so I, I think no, we did, we did, we, oh, we did. I, maybe I did. Well, I think we pretty much researched. We did like a list of like the top 500 people writing in the genre and, and analysed their names. Um, you know, there's a heck of a lot of Marys um, involved in in cozy crime, um, and I think I so we came up with a, a combination of about 50 names that we thought, yeah. Picked up by a spreadsheet, and we we just voted on them. I think that's what we did. Um, you, I remember Heidi had her heart set on our our pseudonym being called Moxie, um, but I felt you know Mo Moxie wasn't quite you know as, as a first name. Moxie Ravensworth. Um, Moxie's and, quite a good name. I like. It's that. a good name. Yeah, Look out for that name. when the when our science fiction books come out. I think yeah. Um, <laughs> but but so so we literally thought about right who is the persona, uh, the character, or at least the name character of, of our pseudonym. But that was principally that we were looking to approach it from a clean slate mm. as as new writers. Um, um, at, you know, at the time of recording, we have not officially told any of our readers of our existing works that, yeah. you know, we have these other books out there. So, uh, five books we've been beavering away at. And obviously writers, you know, we love to share on social media. Oh, look at my cover or oh, coming next year. And it was none of that. Everything under wraps. So we've kept that very quiet. Um, in the hope of not messing with algorithms. Yeah. We're not yeah. the greatest at keeping quiet about things, I should say. It's been a little bit. <laughs> well, at the time of recording, I think there are four out. I think by the time this comes out, there might be a fifth or even a sixth. So the, uh, the Millie Ravensworth series. So I think maybe we should come back to this in a year's time or whatever and just, just see how to. that's, you know, yeah, and see how that's gone. And you, you mentioned that there was a science fiction series. I think there's a time travel series coming as well. How much can you tell us about those? The the time travel novellas, we, um, we, we, we were, I think we were just slightly... Um, we needed an outlet for the rudeness, actually, the, the <laughs> vulgarity that we can't put in the cozies. Um, I mean, we, we we actually did write a Cloverleaf book in between writing the cozies as well, because there's 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 clearly a need in us to, to do the uh, outrageous slapstick and the silliness that that, that comes out in Cloverleaf. But we wondered whether um, a series of shorter shorter works, because we 
we, we have in the past um, put out fairly regular novellas, um, usually based on topical things, Clovenhoof reacting to the pandemic, Clovenhoof reacting to Brexit. Um, so we, we know that actually those 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 sell quite well. So we thought, what if we had a brand new series that was deliberately short and we would just write them when we have a bit of time? And the um, I have to say, they're uh, they're then we, we've we've ploughed some of the same turf that, that you you ploughed in your uh, end of magic, I think, because uh, right. have I got the right book? I've got the right book where where she goes back and um, does some Adele songs or. or uh, back to reality. Back to reality. Sorry, yes. sorry. Yes, yeah, yeah. yes. I, I, one, one of you. Yes. Uh, edit that part out where I got on the <laughs> <laughs> I get confused myself. <laughs> um, but but yes, we we realised that there's loads of fun in going back to um, to the 17th century because one of our characters is a witch and they rescue her from being burned at the stake, um, and then you know we can go back to more recent times and meet. David Bowie before he was famous, and, and we can do all of those things. So yes, we we can we can see that series um, running and running just as we feel like writing it, which is kind of the the palate cleanser that we'd envisaged. And and yet, actually, I think that series also has highlighted those differences of approach to storytelling we have. Because the moment I hear time travel, my brain goes. What kind of time travel? You know, how does time travel work? Because mm-hmm. you know. You can, you can have the approach where, you know, time is fixed and anything you go back to change cannot be changed because it has already happened. There is one set. You've got the, the branching trousers of time approach involving yep. parallel words, words and worlds and things. We've got time as a river where you can change it, but everything kind of comes back and call. And Heidi just took one look at me and went, no, we're just <laughs> doing some time travel stuff. So I know for myself, I had to invent an in-world rationale where we could yeah. do all of these versions of time travel because, you know, I love time travel movies. I love time travel telly. But most of them, if you stop to think about it, you know, the whole grandfather paradox, it doesn't make sense, mm-hmm. you know. And I, I need a world that makes sense to me, even if it is stupid. <laughs> so we we, ha- we, uh, we had to devise, I say we, I had to devise for myself a rationale as to how and why this would work. Um which which has led us on to quantum sheep, I think, was the, uh, the 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 guiding principle of our time travel world. Um, we, I, but you know, we have to make things that work for us. Um, so not, that's been a lot of fun, just being able to have something to explore and do. Um, not least because we do find that we need these outlets for certain types of our writing creatively at different points. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, when you started out together, you know, you've uh, had you know amazing success. You, the Clone Hoofs, I think, was TV interested in that as well. But could you ever have imagined that you would be writers in residence of a telephone box? Tell us about that. Uh, this this speaks to um, I, th- I think why um, you know how the definition of marketing. If you ask a marketing person, it's probably different than the definition that's in my head because. Um, <laughs> The, the the definition that's in my head is oh marketing oh that's like attention seeking right um so yeah one of the things that i i i like to wrap my head around is is getting um well attention on our work obviously marketing is much more numbers driven much more analytical and that's the stuff where um i'm i'm less brilliant but um yeah i we have a telephone box just up the road here 
and uh, it's been adopted by the parish council and it's just sitting there. And so I, I asked the parish council, you know, can we please be writers in residence? <laughs> and having a, asked that question of a, a room full of people, they go, what? What do you mean? <laughs> what? Why? <laughs> so I just elaborated on it a little bit more and said, you know, you don't have to do anything. You just let to have, have to let, have to say so and, and have to let us take pictures and generally, you know, lark about in it. And they said, yes. And so, and, and it's a position for life as far as I'm concerned. Nobody else is allowed. It's not time bound. So, yes, we are writers in residence of the phone box up the road. I've since oh. run a project to install a defibrillator in it because, you know, I think this is a bigger point here because one of the things writing has enabled us to do, it's, it's a wonderful thing about being a writer, is you've got an excuse to do almost anything when you're a writer. It's like, you know, uh, yesterday I was Googling how to burn a house down. Now, a normal person <laughs> would be worried about that, but I'm kind of going, it's fine, I need to know how to burn a house down. Um, and it gives you a freedom to ask for things um, that you wouldn't normally ask for. And one of the, I think, genuine takeaways from being a writer um, is that, and this is Heidi more than me doing this, if you just ask for stuff, more often than not, you'll just get it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we wrote some Sam Applewhite books last year and, and there was going to be a tank in it. So I got in touch with the tank museum and just went, can we come and have a look around your tanks, please? Because we want to, you know, write about one, you know, and they went, yeah, come along. And, and, you know, you just get to go. I mean, you know, you could have paid to go visit anyway, but you know, you just get invited to come and see stuff. We were, we we're in Palace of Westminster last week. And, and again, this is Heidi Maldeney. We wanted to, in a book, murder somebody and conceal their body in the Palace of Westminster. Now, normally, you can't go up to UK Parliament security and go, if I was going to murder somebody and hide them here, where would I put it? But no, if you go, I'm a right... And that, again, I'm going to argue that that guy was too helpful. You know, there's a point at which somebody would go, hang on, <laughs> you know... But, you, you know, if you, if you want to explore, you want to do things, you want to prance about and make a fool of yourself for the purposes of attention, actually, funny enough, the world will let you. Um, and I there remember is, the time no, go on, sorry. I, I, rang up, I rang up Seven Trends because I wanted to know if there were sewers beneath beneath Sutton Coalfield where Clovenhoof lives. Can we walk through the sewers there? Are there big ones like you see on the films? Of course they're not. So they gave us the idea of storm drains and other things. But I can't believe I got on the phone to a Seven Trent engineer. They've got you know leaks to be fixing, but they wasted time talking to us about about nonsense. It was brilliant, and, uh, and it and it leads into that peculiar thing with writing. Because I said earlier on that one of the problems with being a writer by yourself is the solitary aspect. It appeals to the introvert in you that you know you want to sit in a room and play with worlds inside your head and put them on paper. But for most writers, there comes that point later on where the world says, right, you need to promote this thing. Go out and be a performing clown in public. So it's kind of these two. You don't have to do both those elements, but there's very much this sense of, you know, you, 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 the, the, the sense that you, 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 are, you, there's a public side of yourself as well, which you need to present, uh, which, let's face it, we quite enjoy, don't we? Mm. Um, we... Um, Last year, last year, we were very lucky. We were invited to be 
uh, guest speakers at Lithuanicon, which is Lithuania's premier uh, science fiction and fantasy convention. I'm one, we kind of go, how have you even heard of this? <laughs> um, but we went along and just spent time with people explaining, because that was that, it was the tentacle thing, wasn't it, Heidi? Uh, that that was just one of the best. Uh, I, I I can't tell you how brilliant that was because I some years ago we 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 don't necessarily have to relive the whole thing, but um, we we decided after after the Odd Jobs books came out, Tentacled Horrors Living in the Canals of Birmingham, we decided that wouldn't it be funny to fake uh, a, a monster sighting in the canals of Birmingham? So I love nothing more than than the excuse to make a a thing so i made a giant tentacle uh it was if you can picture um i can't remember if it was a pool noodle or or the um insulation that you put around pipes i think it was a, a mishmash of both anyway it was made out of that carved into shape wire reinforcement in the center and you know suckers and spray painted it was a thing of beauty oh it didn't only have wire up the middle it had fishing line attached to it so we could suspend it or we could hold it on a stick. It was a very versatile prop, actually. Um, so we we used it to take some brilliant photos. Ian and I met at six o'clock in the morning in the middle of Birmingham to go and mess about in the canals, and we got the most stunning pictures. We failed to go viral. I mean, none of that worked, but we just had the best fun. And so when we did our presentation at Lituanicon, um, it was hidden cities because the, the, the theme of the convention was cities. So we did a presentation on hidden cities and some of the amazing fantasy locations that you can either visit or invent. And so the, the tale of this tentacle seemed as though it fitted within that. And because of, you know, completeness, I took the tentacle along in the incredibly strict Ryanair you know, <laughs> luggage allowance. I, I managed to squish the thing into a, a suitcase and um, I kept it at the back of the stage while we were doing our thing. And um, and I, I said to the audience, I bet, I bet you don't, I bet you'd like to know what happened to the tentacle. And I went and fetched it out the bag and there was a lady, I could have kissed her, on the front row who went, no way! Really loudly <laughs> and, and like, kind of, I, it was like I'd planted her there. And they were they were genuinely thrilled to see the real tentacle having you know had me wibble on about it for fifteen minutes. One hundred and fifty excited Lithuanians because you bring on a tentacle. Woo! Fantastic. You know, I mean, they they just had Ben Aronovich on beforehand, but no, it was the <laughs> tentacle that got the cheer. You know, and it's. That's, that's the dream, isn't it? Upstaging Ben Aronovich with a tentacle. We've we've all we've all wanted to do it. Now you mentioned this is very much a you know, writing can be a solitary occupation. And you have both written solo novels. I think Heidi, you did the million dollar dress before you started writing together, and Ian, you write as Ian M. Grant. Uh any plans to write solo or will you always be working together as a team? We know which side our bread is buttered. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Our joint efforts definitely uh, work better. We did a rewrite of the Million Dollar Dress as a Goody and Grant book, just because it seemed like right. a, a a decent thing to do. So, yeah, we um, we both bring value. I, I I believe we both bring value that 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 we couldn't um, do without. Yes, no, absolutely. It, it it is one of those things where the um, it, the the NC is greater than the sum of its parts. I think we both have things that we want to do ourselves. We have stories that burn inside us. Um, 
And although we find an outlet for them generally, I think we just know full well that when we write a part, it doesn't function in the same way. Um, and I, and I think there's an element there that, you know, I don't, I don't want to press on the marriage analogy, but you know, we, we do, uh, smooth off the roughest edges from each other. That's what we do. Um, it's a bit like, again, it's like the Venn diagram thing of, you know, what you like, what you want to write and so on. The Venn diagram of us together presents a nicer picture than the Venn diagram of us apart. It, it, it's, a, it's a better thing entirely. And I think we do recognize that within us that, you know, sometimes we burn to write or create a thing. Um, and, and, you know, we, we often create these things sometimes, but, you know, in terms of professional projects, it's a, I mean, Heidi is working on a wonderful project. It's mostly solo. It's, it's maybe it's a joint thing, um, called Mansplainia. I think, that, you know, it, 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 it says itself. And there's this wonderful character. I'm sorry. I, I don't want to, you know, spoil it, Heidi, before you've revealed it. Cause, cause Heidi does like to make things. Cause is it made from an old spit in the dog? No, no. Oh, it looks like it because because I know I know you you know, but this wonderful wig and a lovely dodgy mustache, and I think there's a plan to do some guerrilla filming in IKEA at some point as the man from Mansplainia. Is that I mean I don't know Heidi. It, uh... <laughs> uh, that was a project, and and it's not the first project born out of frustration. <laughs> and, you know, being mansplained to by a really annoying guy who cut off our internet, and uh, yeah, it it it, it just. It came from a core of molten rage, and, and I still need to be sure that it, it is valid and worth doing because, you know, a core of molten rage isn't always the best basis for a, for a thing. But yes, yes, I think the man from Mansplainia is uh, is something that, that we'll definitely tinker with. And I had so much fun <laughs> making the wig. The um, the Spit the Dog reference, my uncle is Bob Carroll G's, and so uh, Spit the Dog is a relative. Uh, he's like a cousin or something, I don't know, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes, and and I just happen to have for for reasons so, some of the plush fur that looks just like Spit the Dog, and and we discovered purely by chance when I was doing something else ridiculous that if I put on a big moustache and eyes, I actually look quite like my uncle, and it's, it's not a thing I'm proud to say, but I do. Well, look, we we we're running out of time, and I just want to spend the rest of the day talking about Bob Carroll G's and Spit the Dog. But we are going to have to wrap it up there. Um, Ian and Heidi, it's been amazing talking to you, and I think we will circle back to Millie Ravensworth at some point, and all the incredible projects that you've got coming, um, folks. We'll put a link in the show notes where you can discover more because you also you've you give presentations at festivals and conventions, and some of those you've got as resources on your website, and I think they're really really useful, particularly about writing comedy. And we haven't even touched on that, so maybe. We can talk about that uh, on a future date. But for the moment, Heidi and Ian, thanks so much for speaking to us and hope to speak to you again soon. Thank you. Mark? Oh, you could just tell that they, I, I, I do. I just remember those times when we were doing interviews, they just riffing off each other. And yeah, yeah it's, it's, we've now learned the secret to why these podcasts are so long. It's because collaboration. And this, yeah. I mean, this is a collaboration right, right now. And uh, again, it's really hard to, um, you know, we just want to, we just want there's so much to, to, to share through the experience of collaboration. And you kind of don't really talk about it whilst you're collaborating. You kind of like just collaborate and you work mm. out your methodologies and stuff. But once you finish the book, it's so exciting to kind of look back and, and kind of think about all of the experiences. But isn't it amazing that Heidi and Ian have been, well, firstly, that they've been going so long. I think 
you know, often you hear about a couple, a couple of authors who pair together, they try a book and then they go back to their own writing. But this has become their de facto way of, of writing books, isn't it? Yeah, and it's it's. I think it's testament to their working methods and the way the working method has evolved. In the extended version, we're going to do we're going to sort of dig down into writing as a team, writing as as a as, as a pair, and, and uh, what's worked for us and what's worked for me as a screenwriter as well, um, and what worked for Heidi and Ian. But I think the fact is they've never let it get stagnant. They've never ended up doing the same thing over and over again, uh, and they've rolled with the punches as well. You know, they've realised the standalones don't work. Work necessarily, but they still do them. I think in order to retain their sanity as well, they're not constantly writing to market. They're not. They're not writing something that's. Uh, they think just oh, would you do this just because it's going to sell? They do it because they love it. And I've I, I think I first met them at Worldcon in Dublin a few years ago. I mean, we know each other online, but it's the first time. And they are they are so much fun just to chat with, you know, in person. And uh, they're friends with Queeve McDonald as well. Uh, so they're, uh, they're they're just fun people to be around as well. Um, also, uh, before we go any further, Heidi's uncle is Bob Carroll. G's that just came out of that. left field. <laughs> I know, she that, slipped that, that into the brilliant. conversation. I think we might need to explain that to I, non-UK I listeners. So yeah. Bob Carroll G's uh, is a performer who has a, a a puppet character called Spit the Dog, which was on I first encountered on a, on a show called Tiz Was. Tiz Was, yes. Back in the late 70s, early 80s, which was yeah. a absolutely anarchic children's program. And Spit the Dog would just spit at people. <laughs> just, that's it. That's the joke. But it was really, when you're eight it, years old, it's the But it's ventriloquism. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a dog that sits sat on his arm. And actually, if anyone's watching <laughs> YouTube, if they're seeing Mark's... Um, I don't know what you call it, microphone fluffy thing. That kind of yes. reminds me of Spit the Dog Spit bit the dog. And, and Bob. <laughs> yeah. But um, it would sit in the crook of the arm, wouldn't it? Um, yeah. And it just Brilliant. spat. It didn't say anything, but it was a very naughty dog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly like that. But um, yeah, so random, absolutely random. But um, I, think, I think it'd be worth diving into this idea of cosy crime because that is a really big, I think, you know, obviously with... Thursday Murder Club has been, you know, internationally successful with Richard Osman. I think there's a lot of people looking at cosy crime now. But what I found interesting was this definition that they talked about, about the rules of cosy crime, which I'd never really heard before. No nudity, no swearing and low violence. I like that. I like the idea of low violence. Like you, there's, there's a point where you've, you know, a lot of authors, when they're doing crime or horror novels, it's like, how do you take this really horrible thing and make it like 10 times worse? Yes, exactly. Where, right? <laughs> Whereas with cozy crime, it's about taking something awful that happened and being able to have it uh, work in a kind of an old person's home, uh, you know, with a quilting magazine on the table. So it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a great kind of parameter um, boundary for people writing it. And I think, I think cozy crime is popular now because people – don't a lot of people are you know we see all the horrors out in the world or the mm. news I should say I, I never want to kind of think of it as the world because it's just the media's reporting of that but yes. all the things we hear about on the media um there's so much of that in reality that I wonder whether that's why cozy crime is like a bit of a, a return to sanity or a return to a safe haven place for people who just want to read a book and get away from all of that yeah and and one of the big rules of cozy crime is you know the the perpetrator 
gets their just desserts. You know, they are arrested and taken away at the end as well. I, when I was a bookseller, we'd very often get, uh, particularly around Christmas time, when people are buying gifts for other people, and they would say, "I, I need a." crime novel for my gran or for my mum or my aunt or whatever it was very often they were buying for a, the you know a woman in the family and they would say lots of juicy murders but no sex you know so it was yeah. <laughs> they they that that kind of concept of cozy crime has been around i mean essentially it's you know agatha christie in a, in a way uh it led you know led the way with this um but what you're seeing a lot more i think what Heidi and Ian have tapped into as well as this idea of tying it in with craft as well. Heidi was saying, you know, she's, she loves craft. She makes things and she's tied it in with that too. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it is interesting. You you know, you've got uh, the, 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 any sex and violence is off stage. It's over there. Um, Very often the, the person solving the crime isn't a police officer. They are, you know, kind of a layman. Exactly. Yeah. 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 They're, they're, they're part of a group or they might know a copper. They might know someone who can, who can help them out. I think that's Uh, the genius in it though, isn't it? That's the genius in it because anyone reading the book could be that person. It's not like you have to have special skills. Exactly. Thursday murder club was all about a group of people who, kind of were in a, a kind of a retired residence, you know, and they all just got together and met up and they tried to solve crimes together. Um, but they were just, you know, they're just like, yeah, the average everyday people. Yeah, so often it's the unassuming, like the Miss Marple, Hetty Wainthrop, Jessica Fletcher. They are the unassuming person that, I mean, uh, Father Brown, the G.K. Chesterton ones as well, which I, I read when I was a, a kid as well. It's this unassuming character that always gets overlooked who's there in the corner, like the reader, observing taking it all in and then and then coming up with uh, you know the the solution so um it's uh yeah it's i you're absolutely right i think you know there's so much um we're bombarded with so much turmoil through uh that sort of news media that to have something where yes a terrible thing ha- happens someone is murdered but there is it's in a universe where it's resolved Everything ties up neatly at the end, and you get to do some craft or work in a bookshop or coffee or whatever it is. Exactly, (laughs) it's the genius in the genius in it is the actual title of the genre as well. The word cozy. Mm. That's that for me is the thing that makes makes this work. I mean, if you said like cottage cottage crime or seaside crime, or it it wouldn't work. But the word cozy just has it just works, doesn't it? It's it just it does what it says on the tin, and it's a it's it's a go-to um, in many ways, and I, I know that I know that this genre is going to run and run, and it's going to become. Oh, it's um, going absolutely well, nowhere. It, it's, I mean, it's, it's been going for quite a few yeah. years as well, hasn't it? I mean, yeah. it's not like it's been around like a. I mean, the, the, like you say, the concept of it has been um, been around for a long time, but it's because of that genre name that came about. And I'm curious as to the history as to how that. If you know how the word cozy crime, who who wrote the first cozy crime novel? Maybe it's defined somewhere. But the 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 point that it. It's, it's come along, it's stuck, and it's now something for people to hang their hat on, say, I want to write a cozy crime novel. And instantly, you've got your rule base. Mm-hmm. And that we always talk about this, Mark, don't we? That to actually write something, and I talked about this at the beginning of the podcast, like when you've got a million and one options, it's the hardest block to actually getting started. Whereas the minute you say cozy crime and you've got a rule base, kind of like the hero's journey as well, you've got a rule base, instantly puts you into a little box where you can be infinitely creative within a small space. And yeah. that, I think, is key to making progress on a book. I, I think what Heidi and Ian were talking about was was 
matching those reader expectations, which weirdly, the most recent deep dive we've done with Paul Austin Ardwan, he's got this book out about making a $1,000 a month as an indie author. And he said the, the big light bulb moment for him was this thing about meeting reader expectations. So each genre, the, this isn't writing to market, but when you're writing in a particular genre, the reader comes to that genre expecting certain elements. There are things they are going to want from that. And it's kind of up to you. If you want it to be commercial, it's up to you to deliver those elements in a way that's entertaining. And I think Heidi and Ian, I mean, you just look, they're six books into the series. I think the next one, The Scarecrow Murders, is coming out later, 2023. So six books into the series. Um, so that a definite sign that, that you know people want more. Mm. Talking of needs, they. I was fascinated by... Um by discussion around Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And that was something that, you know, if anyone's ever done psychology or, or studied any kind of personal development books, that's like, you know, usually, you know, chapter one, um, learning about the kind of the needs. And if you've never, if you've never come across it, I know it's, it's quite a common thing, but you know, it's not everyone's, not, not everyone will have necessarily linked up with it. So it's a fascinating kind of pyramid diagram, which talks about the, that we have certain needs in, in life as human beings and we can't really get to the next level until we've satisfied the needs. And so we've got base needs of like food and shelter and self-actualization, which is the top of the pyramid. You know, you can't, you can't be doing that when you've got to be paying the mortgage and, you know, the, the house is burning down and the kids are running around screaming. But I love the idea of taking this model and using it to really understand and, and, and stri- as, as you know, as, as Ian said, stripping your character of their hierarchy of needs. It's a real way of getting to the base level of, of what, what the core emotional and physical and physiological needs are of, it, of a human being. He talked about um, taking a character, chasing up a tree and throwing rocks at it, <laughs> um, which is kind of like, but remind me of like a Calvin and Hobbes episode. But I think it's really, <laughs> it's really interesting to kind of think of character in terms i mean we can just say oh yeah think of your character's needs but when you use the hierarchy of needs it gives you a model again you know okay what are we talking about here you know do they have love do they have food do they have shelter um what are they trying to aspire to become through their own journey and and that really works for me it's a it's a brilliant model which um i think we should we should be looking into more as writers it's, it's really interesting. I've, I've known about it, but I've never really looked into it. And, and listeners, I'll put a link in the show notes so you can have a look at this, this pyramid because the bottom is physiological needs, then safety needs, love and belonging, esteem, and, and as you say at the top, self-actualization, which is the desire to become the most that one can be. And as I'm looking at it, I'm thinking at the bottom, these physiological needs, which are air, water, food, shelter, sleep, clothing, the absolute essentials. And then above that is safety needs, personal security, employment, resources, health, property. Those feel like genre needs. Okay. So that, that sounds like thrillers and science fiction and fantasy taps into all of those. And then above that, you've got love and belonging, friendship, intimacy, family, sense of connection. Well, that's romance, isn't it? That's romance and contemporary fiction where people are talking, you know, novels about friends or lovers or what have you. And then when you get to esteem and self-actualization, that feels like literary fiction to me. That's where it explores, you know, people who are usually going through some kind of inner turmoil or some inner journey. So it seems to me that if you want to write genre stuff, you go for those essentials, the psychological needs, the life and death kind of stakes. And then when you get further up, you're talking about love and romance and those important things. And then when you get to the top, it's self-actualization, which is, you know, 
just feels like every literary novel I've ever read, you know. So it's uh, I'd never really, you know, yeah. I, I knew of that's it, an, but I'd never really put it together before. That's an interesting angle, actually. Yeah, not not looked at it like that before. I think I think the journey as well, um, you know, it's 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 it's, it's it, it, there's no, there's a journey that everyone goes through in life, um, you know, and with the hierarchy of needs, we can go up and down those needs depending. Like if you're if mm-hmm. you're you know, for example, you're in love, you, you, you've got everything sorted at the base level and then you've, you've fallen in love and then you're kind of moving up the hierarchy. And then there's an earthquake and your house collapses. Well, you're, you're back at the bottom of the, you know, you can't yeah. think about having an, a, you know, a loving relationship with somebody when you're running around trying to save the kids. It's like there's there's all kinds of different. So it's it's a it's an ever, it's ever, ever changing journey. But the, it's this idea of aspiring to kind of, get those things in place and then you can kind of really focus on the next level. And it's just a, yeah, it's a very interesting Maslow was, um, uh, you know, he, he wrote an incredible amount on this. There's tons of stuff. I mean, we're going back a few years now, but definitely worth looking into. Now let's also talk about this idea of writers having a free pass because Mm -hmm. we've talked, we talked about (laughs) this, uh, very much when we were writing back to reality you know, going and being knocking on, you talk to, 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 to surgeons, bus drivers, all kinds. We've also heard a lot of authors who come on this show that have, you know, um, well, there's one of our academy members who went and spent the day on a sheep farm, uh, sheep yes. shearing. And <laughs> I mean, you can just get all kinds of experiences. Um, and I think of, uh, you know, going up the mountain with the, with the, you know, a yak, um, chasing you like with a guide. I mean, there's all kinds of crazy stuff you could do. It just struck me that what, what a fun idea for a novel. The premise <laughs> being a, a writer who just basically wants to do all the fun stuff. It's not actually writing a book at all. And just <laughs> blags their way through, where, you know, the, the, yes. the Buckingham Palace, uh, the call White it, House. Out of my way, I'm a novelist. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I just, and it, but it's true though, isn't it, Mark? You've experienced this. Like something about the excitement of being asked by an author to be told something or be show, to show someone around who's writing a book. And I wonder if it comes from, I wonder if it comes from the fact that you think, well, oh, this might end up in the book or I might even end up the book as the, uh, you know, the person that's showing them around the museum or something. Well, very often I, I find that because when, whenever I speak to experts in the field, I, my opening line is what does everyone get wrong about what you do? And they love that. Because they're like, oh, great, yeah. Whenever I watch this show, that's blah blah blah. They they love they suddenly you're on their side. You're going to try and get it right, you know. And people, it really helps people open up. Uh, and I think people are generally very willing to share their experiences with you in order to get things right, in order to set the record straight, you know. Uh, so that that's always helpful, and it does open doors, you know. Uh, for my next book, The Holly King. I went to the um, the Royal Mail archive uh, up in London and was looking at stuff there because one of my characters is a is a postman and 1940 postman, so that was great. I've, I'm sure I've mentioned before on the podcast the time that we got into the Stanley Kubrick archives oh, yeah. in the Elephant and Castle <laughs> because we said yeah. Uh, yeah, we're, we're writing a book, uh, which I think one of my friends was thinking about writing a book, but we all went along and got to see everything that was in a massive exhibition a few months later. <laughs> so, so yeah, it. it's it can open doors, you know, if you write a polite letter or an email or what have you. Uh, and yeah, why not? I mean, I'm going, 
I'm going down to Dungeness uh, in a few weeks as well to do some research down there for for the next book, the book after the next book. So um, you know, it's uh, it it does open doors, and it's uh, it, it might go to your head a bit, but you know, I'm sure. Let's let's set a challenge. Who can you know who can get into Buckingham Palace? Yeah, I want I want I want ever, any, I want any author who's ever done anything the White House, out of the ordinary, the yeah, Pentagon. I know, literally any author who's ever done anything on the on the premise of writing a book uh, and and had a brilliant day out and a great experience let us know we want we want to document these this could become another theme on the podcast so uh, you know drop us a note <laughs> go to the website click on the contact us button send mark and i an email or, or come to the facebook page um our twitter and uh, if it's still going and um, yes, let us know <laughs> so who knows or whatever the new facebook version of twitter threads i think if you if you've got a threads account uh stick it on there and then we'll find that when we set one of those up whenever that will be but um I, th- I think it's really, I think it's really f- fun to kind of look at that, and uh, I also think for the deep dive, Mark, we we are really going to delve deep on collaboration because it's what we did. It's what we. It's really the premise of what how this podcast started. If again, if you're new to podcast, Mark and I spent the first year of this podcast collaborating on writing a book for a year, best uh, back to reality, and um, and so we have we 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 run the gamut with this, and um, the thing that I loved about what Ian and Heidi talked about is the, how they finished the interview is this idea about writing better together, that they had this experience whereby, um, yes, they write together um, and they, they write separately, but they their de facto has become writing together. And I, I just mm. think this might inspire authors out there. Yeah. If you're an author who has struggled to write a book by yourself um, and you're stuck, collaboration could be, you know, the first step just to getting that book written finished and giving you that confidence to then keep going or it might actually end up being the thing that you do long term like Heidi and Ian um so if you haven't done it you've got to listen to this because it's extended because we're going to we're going to unveil some of the secrets talk a lot more we're going to go deeper into playing to each other's strengths um similar work ethics the magic of spreadsheets um mm-hmm. we're going to talk about um, you know, same but different. Like, how do you how do you deliver what the reader wants? Um, so, if you'd like to support the podcast and get access to the uh, extended, go to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash support and sign up, and then you can join Mark and I uh, to riff on this for a good old while. So, Mark, what's new in social media today? Lots and lots of good news. Uh, starting with the Academy, we've got Kay Vincent on the Academy. Uh, Kay says, I entered a micro-fiction competition a couple of months ago where participants have 24 hours to write a story exactly 100 words long. Have you ever tried? I've tried this. It's so hard. It's so hard. I struggle to even write a tweet, Mark. <laughs> yeah, really quite. Um, yeah, well, it's, it's not like Elon's making it easy for anyone, is it? Um, but anyway, okay, cases. But the other day I heard I got through to the second round. I've already submitted my second 100-word story, and I must admit that I've got quite a good feeling about it. So fingers crossed that will get me through to the final round. Got everything crossed for you, Kay. Brilliant, Kay's Kay. great fun. Kay oh, is, yeah. you know, when we have the weekly surgeries, it's great having Kay around. Yeah. Um, also on the uh, Academy, uh, Susan Holmes finished my first draft. I finished the first draft of my psychological thriller. Needs a lot of work still, and I mean a lot. However, this is an achievement and further than I've ever got before. My life is littered 
with unfinished novels. Uh, brilliant. I mean, that's what we want from the Academy, isn't it, Mr. D? This, oh, this is what, what we set it up for. Absolutely. First drafts, finishing those, doing those things you've never, ever done before. Exactly. It's all about reaching those milestones that you never thought possible. You maybe didn't think you could do by yourself or if you're stuck. And Susie's testament to that. So congratulations, Susie. We are absolutely thrilled for you. Um, Jackie Kirkham over on the BXP team uh, she says cover reveal I've just started uploading my ebook to the various stores uh, so while I'm waiting for them all to go live I th- thought I'd share my gorgeous cover with you I'm so excited I love the cover so much so this is a non-fiction book called The Calm Place Discovering Nature in a Year Like No Other by Jackie Kirkham it is absolutely gorgeous I'm going to put a link in the show notes to Jackie's website because also when you sign up to a newsletter you get this sort of uh this worksheet about nature and it's just just looking at the cover lowers my blood pressure <laughs> it's beautiful it's absolutely beautiful so do check that out there'll be a link in the show notes for, for that folks you can you can check that out um uh Mr D another another person this is uh our I think this is on this is on YouTube actually. Uh, this is at WF Meyer uh, who says, "Mr. D, I'm another who can turn off smell at will in the same way you do with the whole flap thing. It does have its benefits. This is astonishing. This is going every right? week. Every who, week we we got who someone knew? who's got this superpower. It's fantastic. We should start <laughs> documenting all these superpowers that people didn't realise they ever had and uh, and create a whole website dedicated to them. I think it could be quite fascinating. But welcome to the club. That's four of us now that can turn off our smell at will. Um, and if, <laughs> if that doesn't make any sense to you, just listen back the last few weeks because this is something that's probably going to keep running by the sounds of it. Well, and likewise, it was our JD Kirk episode, and I'll put a link in the show notes because we've—I don't think we've had a response to an episode like that for so long. So uh, over on the BXP team, Liam Savile, you know JD Kirk, he has aphantasia, which is where you can't picture things in your mind and it's helped him become this incredibly prolific author but he learned very late in life that he had it and every week again we got people going hang on that was me so over on the bxp team we've got liam savile and tanya scott just they both discovered this and what's lovely is they're both having a conversation sharing their experiences about it and how it might help with their writing so it's just this it's the episode that that keeps giving i'm just absolutely delighted by it so uh, thanks everyone for sharing that absolutely brilliant stuff and if you would like to share your work work with the world then if you're really struggling with your book and who isn't i mean let's be honest uh 200wordchallenge.com could be the answer to your prayers it's like a well it's a free challenge that challenges you for the first week to try and write 200 words a day and then keep on going and we've had so many incredible successes in fact mark i am going to put out a request for anyone who's written a book using the 200 word challenge because we're going to feature those books um, and create a 200 word challenge list uh, a bit like like NaNoWriMo you know how NaNoWriMo's got all the famous books that were written well we're going to do that with the 200 word challenge well so if, you've, if you're one of those people that have written a book then me um, I am I am I've done well it. I, I know starting with you at the top of the <laughs> spreadsheet Mark but yeah we'll, we'll stick up a form um, very shortly um, and yeah well, maybe you could put that in the show notes this week Mark and then we'll, we'll put it out there um, if you've actually written a book using Dr. Red Challenge fill the form out and uh, we will highlight your book amongst all the brilliant f- works of literary fiction and non-fiction yeah. that have happened so um, but yeah 200wordchallenge.com is where you go to sign up for that and if people want to find us on social media and out in the world Mark so Facebook is Bestseller Experiment. Twitter and Instagram is at Bestseller XP. And at the time of recording, uh, Meta Threads 
launches tomorrow. So I'm going to dip in and give that a go because it ties in with Instagram, as I believe. Although when you say threads to someone of my vintage, I immediately think of the nuclear war film that came out in 1984, but I'm sure it won't be as bad as that. Um, so yeah, we're going to, we're going to dip in and give threads a go, so to speak. Uh, so yeah, watch this space. Excellent stuff. Brilliant. All right, folks, if you'd like to join uh, our thousands and thousands of people that signed up to our weekly newsletter, pop along to bestsellerexperiment.com, click on the newsletter tab, and we will send you a weekly update of our latest episode with links and all the things we learned from it, plus lots of other exclusive bonuses and goodies if you sign up to that. So, Mr. Stay, have a great week, and I will see you very soon, shorter than you would ever know, as we (laughs) dive into our next episode. And uh, thank you so much, folks, for joining us this week, and we hope you have a fantastic writing week. So goodbye from Mark 1. And a goodbye from Mark 2. Goodbye. Goodbye.